Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Chloe Gray, thanks for joining me. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. You are a um, a, a, a dating consultant, a, mm-hmm. uh, but you're also you you also are a, uh, a, a clinical social worker. Is that correct? I am, and I'm working in my PhD in clinical psychology as well. Wow, that's. I mean, um, did did you start out in the psychology world, or was what, what, tell us how you how you came to be advice by Chloe, <laughs> sure. the expert. Um, I was in college and I, I was working on my master's degree. Um, and I, I had been a nanny for years. I had been a nanny for the same family ever since I was 18 and started college that that was my like primary source of income while I was in school. And the family that I worked for moved away with no notice. They moved to Australia for a summer holiday. So I went from having a job to not having a job in a day. Um, and so bills were coming due and I couldn't find like sustainable work quickly enough. And I, I was in a place where I was in real trouble. Like I, I had an eviction notice on my door. I was like 48 hours away from my electricity being shut off. I had been eating ramen noodles for like a week. I was selling my clothes. I sold my TV. Like I, I was, honestly, in, in the scariest place I'd really ever been. And I was, it, it, it was terrifying. It was very genuinely terrifying. And I had tried to find online work before. Like I, I had, um, I was doing surveys for like 10 cents a pop. I was doing other kids homework and getting paid for it. I, anything that anyone would pay me to do, I was doing. Um, And then I randomly saw this subreddit on Reddit called slave labor. And it was basically where you could offer to do work for very, very little pay. Mm. And I thought, okay, like, what, what can I offer Reddit that they'll give me $5 for? Because I was thinking, maybe I can make you know, five to $20 and buy groceries. I, Mm -hmm. this was not intended to become a business. (laughs) So I did a little bit of research and I saw that most Redditors are between the ages of 18 and 35, and they're mostly straight men. So I thought, okay, what can I offer them that they will pay me for? And then I thought of my friends, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty nerdy girl. Most of my friends are men. We all play video games and board games and watch nerdy movies. And so I thought of them and how terrible they are at online dating, just <laughs> horrifically bad at online dating. And we had had this competition going on for quite some time where every match that I would get them, they would buy me a bag of chips. Mm. And I, I just had a, like a closet full of, full of potato chips. <laughs> um, so I thought, oh my gosh, I'll, I'll do that. And so I posted to Slave Labor and I said, I will pimp out your dating profile for $5 an hour. And it's still the highest rated 
post and slave labor's history three years later it it exploded it exploded in a way that was genuinely overwhelming I was working 12 13 hours a day every day seven days a week for five dollars an hour for about a month um I was able to pay off just enough rent to get them to leave me alone. And then I paid it in full. I paid just enough of my electricity bill. I bought groceries. I had fresh food for the first time in a really long time. Um, And then I bumped up my prices. I asked for eight whole dollars an hour um, and people, even more people came. And then I asked for $10 an hour and more people came. And every time I was getting more and more clients and it was because previous clients were posting about how helpful it was and how they were getting results. And then I did an, uh, what's called an AMA on Reddit. It's really popular. It's called ask me anything. Mm-hmm. And it's where people can ask you literally any question that they want. I did one of those. I got like 15,000 upvotes. It was on the front page of Twitter. It just, I, I was booked up for six months within 24 hours and and then I'm like, okay, I think, I think this might be something that's real. And so I, I did advice by Chloe until I finished my master's degree. And then my intention was to give it up and do traditional therapy. And then I found that I actually made more money with advice by Chloe because I stopped charging $10, $10 an hour a little while yes. ago. Um, and I genuinely enjoyed it. It's I love it so much. I love the research. I love like searching for data. And I love that like dopamine hit every time I see a client. And then like two weeks later, they're texting me screenshots of their match rates. And they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. It feels so good. I've had two clients get married. I have clients who are engaged in a way that just feels it's so wholesome. I really didn't think that this was going to be wholesome. I thought it would be people trying to get laid. And sometimes it is, but most of the time it's just wholesome. And I, I love it. And I, I just love when I meet people who created their own job. Like you basically created, I mean, I know there's an industry, but you kind of created your own, your own niche. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. um, and, and you said it perfect. Like, it sounds like something that might be you know unpleasant but it's it's wholesome and you're helping people connect and doing that in a way um I'm old enough to remember when the online dating was kind of shame people were shamed (laughs) they were just like (laughs) you know because I'm old and it was just sort of like you'd have to lie about how you met or and it wasn't something that people could really count on as it is today I consider the dating profile and the photos like an art form I mean there's a lot that a lot of us don't understand. <laughs> Can you talk about that, about um, it's it's more than just, hey, I'm not looking for anything serious, which those people are always lying, right? But but tell us about the profile, <laughs> the art, the profile as art. So almost half of Americans, they met their partners on a dating app, almost half. And that was in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um so online dating is just is just a part of dating now. I mean, it's it allows you to swipe on people while, while you're in your pajamas watching Netflix, right? Like you don't really have to go to bars anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is it's so competitive that it's not really efficient to 
just post a couple of pictures that you already have on your phone and answer the questions that, that, that they ask you. Because if you're a pretty girl and you're in a mid-sized city, you're getting at least a hundred likes a day. Um, on, in, in like a major city, some, sometimes it's a thousand and that may sound like, wow, that makes online dating super easy, but it's not. I once heard a quote um, that said that for men, online dating is like trying to find clean water in the desert. And mm. for women, it's like trying to find clean water in a swamp. And it's, it's, it's very true. <laughs> it's very true. Um, so when it comes to building your profile, you have to approach this like a marketing campaign, because essentially that is all online dating is. You have to consider who is your intended audience and what do they want. And it's not just what they want, but how they want it and how you would be perceived because straight men, gay men, straight women, gay women, they all use dating apps a little bit differently. And so understanding your target audience and how you can show them that you have what they want is it requires a little bit of intention. It means that instead of just using the photos that you already have on your phone, take photos intentionally that mm. give them an accurate and flattering idea of what you look like. The number one reason that women swipe left is uncertainty. The number one reason way before attraction or uh, compatibility. And it's because if you have photos and she's not really sure if that's what you're going to look like on a first date, or if your photos are inconsistent where you look one way in one photo and a different way in like another picture, or maybe all of your photos are from the chest up and it looks like maybe you're hiding your weight or your height, or it looks like you're hiding something. Even if she finds you attractive, most women will still swipe left on you. It's that certainty that that is important. So like making sure that they can see a full body shot of your whole entire body and very clearly understand this is what this person is going to look like as they walk up to me on a date. For men, the number of reason that they swipe left is lack of attraction. So gay men and straight men both, the uncertainty, it, it's important but focusing on showing off your most attractive features, it's what's going to be most effective. So the same thing is true for your bio. Now, most men don't read a bio until they've already swiped on you. In fact, about 95% of men don't read the bio until they've already swiped on you and now have to have a conversation with you. But 87% of women do. Your photos are like a qualifying grace. They have to like your photos before your bio matters. But once they like your photos, then your bio matters a lot. They're going to read it and they're going to try to figure out if you seem like someone they would enjoy spending time with. So instead of just answering questions in like an interview-like way, you want to express your personality. You want to be a little bit playful. You want your personality to shine through, but you also don't want to just make a bunch of jokes because if you make a bunch of mm. jokes, she may laugh, but she hasn't really learned anything about you. You're still a stranger. This should feel like the start to a really good conversation. We are basically trying to build you a really good resume. That is all the online dating is. Is that making sense? Yes, totally. Because I, and I understand insecurity, but there is nothing like showing up to meet somebody and 
the photos don't match the yeah. I mean the filtering and the mm-hmm. I, I mean I, it's it it has happened to me more than a it's happened times. to everyone it's, it's awful. shocking it's shocking yeah. to be like oh and it's not like oh you're not as attractive for me it was just like oh my god do you think I'm stupid <laughs> exactly yes it was and- it was not it was insulting it is insulting and it's not, it's ultimately not helpful because maybe that might get you a first date. It's not going to get you a second date. It's, it's not. And it also hurts people overall because if people become suspicious mm-hmm. that you aren't truly representing yourselves, they're going to be a lot more picky on dating apps because I'm sure that the first time that you were essentially catfished, the next time that you saw pictures, you probably looked a little bit more closely because no one wants to go on a date and feel like they've been lied to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It just, and I guess I just, I, I just have a couple of quick questions about, and I, this is going to make me sad. You said you don't have a lot of gay women, right. That, 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 that reach out to you or, or hire you. No, I get, I get do they, more. What do they do? <laughs> I have a lot more than I used to. But okay, good, good. This is hopeful. The the issue is this with I don't really have a lot of straight women either. And okay. it's because so whenever we are helping someone to build a profile, the first thing that you want to focus on is photos, right? The the issue is it's a very small sample size for me because I don't really have a lot of, of female clients. So there's also not, unfortunately, there's not a lot of data to show us how gay women swipe. It's actually like there's very, very, very little. It's like dredging the river for some <laughs> kind of data. I've actually been curating a sample size of gay women so we can run some experiments and see how that works right now I have 352 but I'm looking to get at least a thousand before we like actually play with it and see how do gay women swipe how does this work what do they swipe left on what is most important because you're going to see patterns appear right um and because we don't really have a lot of that in like academic studies. No one is really funding that, unfortunately. Most studies focus on how straight women swipe just because that makes up the bulk of online dating. So a lot of this is just a little bit of guesswork. I, I know that you, you, you need to have good photos that focus on showing what you really look like. And then your bio, it's kind of the same thing. It just needs to reflect what you think the person that you were talking to once in a way that's still accurate to who you are, right? So we know that women, both straight and gay women, read bios, and they're quite important. So once you have passed that qualifying race of her liking your photos, she needs to read your bio and feel excited about the prospect of getting to know you. That's really, really important for most women. So you and I've watched your, uh, your radio show. I've listened to your podcast. You're funny. So if that, (laughs) you're welcome. If that isn't reflective on your bio, you need to change up your bio, (laughs) right? It needs to be funny. It needs to be playful and it needs to be informative. And you called yourself old, but I've also seen your pictures and you're beautiful. I don't know what, sincerely, you're, you're very, and you're also fit as heck. You're very fit. So- I don't know what your photos look like, Mm -hmm. Um, but if they aren't showing that, they should. And by showing that, I don't mean photos in a gym. 
don't take photos in a gym take photos in a natural environment no it makes you look like a jerk no (laughs) because if she sees you and and she's like okay she's 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 pretty fit but she's gonna talk about arm day for two hours that's not interesting well I might um no no (laughs) not a first date I might do them but I I guess uh, I've been off the apps for uh, almost a year under uh supervision i i've had to do some stuff because uh it it's um i, I don't know but i i'm go- on the i'm back to, i'm gonna go back on the mm. thing i just need to move to a place where people live <laughs> yeah that is also <laughs> a huge well no it is it's, it's the true. middle I of mean, nowhere well <laughs> to bring your own town it 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 is a problem like in a very real way for a lot of the lgbt community that there's just not as many people and so what a lot of especially people who who live in small towns an issue that they're going to run into is you're just seeing the same people over and over and over again and unfortunately that's not really something a dating consultant can help with because there's what what am I going to do right now one thing that you can do is expand your search location to as far as you're willing to drive now, okay. if you do that, you have to be willing to be the person who does the driving because you can't match with with a girl 50 miles away and then ask her to drive to you because she's <laughs> she's not going to do that. <laughs> right? I, I am so lazy. I'll just be like, well, no. but, but no, that's 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 uh, no, I appreciate it because I'm, I'm getting back on. The, I just had such a horrible experience over um, COVID and it was just meeting. I mean, it was just I don't it's know, traumatizing. I it really oh. it's it like data shows that this is terrible for our mental health using dating apps can be really bad for you what makes the difference between people who can use dating apps and maintain their mental health and those who have increased like risks of depression and anxiety is how you treat the app this app is not a value statement about you it is not a value statement about how attractive you are or how good of a partner you are. The only thing this is measuring is how good you are at marketing yourselves. I have clients who are 200 pounds overweight and clients who have a six pack. They both can get matches. It's all about how we are marketing yourself. And of course, like realistic expectations, right? So what's important is treating this app for what it is, which is a tool to get dates. This is not dating. It is a tool to obtain dates. If you treat dating apps like it's dating, it's going to hurt because you're going to be rejected a lot more than you're going to be matched. You're going to be ghosted. Like it's, it sucks. It sucks for everyone. But if we use it as a tool and this isn't dating, we're not going to get emotionally attached Mm -hmm. until you're actually on the date. Then it tends to work a lot better for people. This dating app is a toaster. Its job is to get you toast. Like okay. that's it. <laughs> right? I like it. I like it. And uh, not not to endorse any apps. And I know I keep talking about apps. There are too many. They're they're confusing mm. to me. They can't all like Hinge is too. It's like a. It's like a like a. It's like a term paper. <laughs> <laughs> Hinge is actually extremely popular right People now. People love it. People love yeah, it. it's worked it's, for a lot of my friends are like married after using. Uh, yeah apps. I mean, hinge, it's not the... hinge is very female friendly um which is great um because it 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 is pretty good about getting rid of people who are creepy it's pretty yes. good about 
um, making sure that they're asking questions that allow you to really express yourself. And they do this really cool thing that Bumble also does where they mix and match your bio and your photos together, trying to like, like essentially force people to read your bio rather than just looking at your pictures oh, and swiping. Okay. I like it. Right. Yeah. Be, because on Tinder, you have to like move around to be able to even see the bio on Hinge. You have to see the bio to look at the pictures, which I think is helpful and like more meaningful matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hinge is actually really great in Florida. It's kind of growing a lot here. People here love it. And they get yeah. um, one of my friends, she had like dozens of dates. I was like, look, what, what is, she has a great profile. Oh my God. Yeah. It looked uh, amazing. And the final question, Chloe, keeping you forever. Cause I love talking yeah. to you. Um, one, I mean, Chloe Gray isn't your real name and you use a, a, an alias. Is it because of weirdos? Like you just don't want weirdos um, going after you or kind of. So <clears throat> it's most curious because my work as a therapist and my work as a dating consultant are very different so obvious okay yeah I work pretty exclusively with kids for 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 therapy and Mm. my PhD is focused pretty exclusively on kids and then advice by Chloe is a little bit flirty a little bit dirty and -hmm. like focus on like adult relationships so the issue is I don't want the parent of one of the children that I'm doing counseling with to Google my name and find how to get me in bed by talking about Harry Potter. That's not really a blog that parents want to see. Which is wholesome about (laughs) literature. (laughs) Indeed. And people looking for my dating consultant side, they don't want to read articles about abused children, right? So it's just mostly having, yeah, it's like having that boundary, right? But between those two things. And also people are creepy. Like I- the you would get some weird DMs. I mean, you would. Yes, I got, it was more than that. Someone delivered flowers to my apartment whenever I oh. first started. Oh no name, God. no anything, just flowers. I had someone when I first started Advice by Chloe, he must have been a student at the college that I went to. He must have known me somehow because he sent me my own address and a DM with oh, no context, my. which was terrifying. Yeah, so I erased, yes, <laughs> I erased my face i erased oh. my name i erased anything associated with me from from online i hired a lawyer to like figure out how to do this in like an ethical way and then that's how i created advice by chloe chloe is similar to my name but not my name gosh well, oh my god now i'm scared i'm so naive so i need <laughs> to hear these stories because i'm like yeah i'll just hand out my number and people are like well but no no um and uh, again thanks for joining me Chloe on the um on the the podcast and uh, no yeah problem. you're you you have a lot of wisdom and again people can go to your website is it advice by chloe.com it is indeed and hey if you need help with your dating profile like I will help you I will not charge you I would love oh no to I'm hiring you. I can hire you'll you'll thank me later I'm difficult <laughs> I'm, I'm the most difficult client thank you though I appreciate it but but no I will problem. pay because it my friends kind of want payment at this point they're they hear a lot so but um <laughs> congratulations on everything and um thanks again no problem have a good one too
Mant Barres, thank you for taking the time today. How are you? I'm doing great. The big rainstorm out here in southern Germany reminds me of home. You are in Germany. <laughs> it's noon here in Key West. What time is it? Uh, it is 6 p.m. Okay, that's not bad. Six hours ahead. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad at all. I thought it'd be four in the morning. I don't know things. Oh, no. <laughs> um, now, uh, y- you've written poetry. Um, you-, you work on fiction. Uh, what, what, when did you start? Were you always writing as a, as a child? Or when did this hit you? Like, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I was always a reader and a writer. Um, I didn't grow up in a family that really read very much or wrote or was really interested in any of that. So I was kind of the odd duck. And I wrote poetry uh, starting when I was like early teenager. Um, And I thought that's what I was going to be a poet because I didn't think that I could write stories. I felt that they were too complicated and I'd have to write about people who weren't like me and that intimidated me. Little did I know I'd be writing about people just like me (laughs) about 10 years time. Um, But I went to college Um, at LSU. I majored in creative writing and literature. And I took an amazing workshop with uh, Jennifer Davis. Um, She's a professor there at LSU uh, in for the undergrads and also the MFA program. And she really taught me that not only I could write fiction, but I could write fiction about people like me from the place that I'm from, Mm. which I didn't think anyone would care about (laughs) until I met her, you know. And uh, first of all, go Tigers. (laughs) Go Tigers, LSU. I spent some time (laughs) in New Orleans um, uh, about 10 years working at the Times Picayune. And I had no idea how grateful I would become to be able to spend time in Louisiana. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, no place is perfect. There's a history of, yeah. uh, but I yeah, learned no so one, much. No one like a Louisianan can really, um, you know, talk shit about Louisiana. <laughs> Correct. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I love I, it to hate it kind of a thing. <laughs> but I, I, what I took away from it, I learned so much about this is my perception, family and friends first, um, enjoying mm-hmm. life, um, celebrating yeah. life, maybe not waiting mm-hmm. till tomorrow to do, I, yeah. I, I, I came from this work, 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 everything's work and money. And mm-hmm. I, I found some peace, um, in the, the traditions, celebrating traditions, but you, you grew up in, uh, uh, the Cajun country, Louisiana. Is that yes. Correct? Cajun country, Acadiana. Um, I'm from a tiny town called Erath, Louisiana, um, even it. people in Louisiana have no clue where that is. I've, I've heard of it. Um, I know <laughs> really? I got it's lost a, a lot where, out there. <laughs> it's the place where D.L. Menard lived um, until his death. He's like a very famous Cajun French uh, musician. He had a famous song called The Back Door, which, I mean, honestly, it slaps. It's a pretty good song. Um, and the parish that it's in is Vermilion Parish, which the slogan for the parish is the most Cajun place on earth. And so <laughs> whenever I try to pitch myself to people that aren't from Acadiana, I'm like, you don't get it. We're like Cajun Cajun. <laughs> We're not like Lake Charles. We're not like Creole, like New Orleans. We're Cajun Cajun. <laughs> Talk about what that means, because um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a scholar of it, but I learned it was a, a lot more than just that, you know, Paul Perdome or like Cajun Spice yeah. in the, the Kroger. I'm like, come on. Like, it yeah. can't be. That stuff is all marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get it. Uh, Our food is really good. Any spices that you get outside of Louisiana are a little suspect, but I get why people want to recreate them. Our food is amazing. Um, It's one of the many things that makes Louisiana great. But um, essentially, the Cajuns are like the weird Canadian cousins of the Creoles. (laughs) So the Creoles are like 
you know, more uh, directly European from the Caribbean, you know, mixed with African slaves. And we're like super duper white. Uh, we descend the most direct of us from the Acadians uh, in what is now Nova Scotia. They were um, French colonists um, that were kicked out after the French and Indian War um, because they refused to refute uh, Catholicism or bow to the English king. And they ended up in the basically unlivable penal colony, Louisiana. And we're like, we can make this work, <laughs> which says a lot about us, I think. That might want to be the Paris slogan. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, 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 no. But uh, growing up, I mean, did you, what, what were the, what, what, what about growing up there is, do you think now has informed your writing, your voice, your, what, what do you think um, you, you, you know, the challenges that you saw there? I mean, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? I mean, I think as a writer, what's interesting for me is writing about a culture that is much stronger than it was, say, for my parents' generation, as far as like how vocal it is. I think more people know what a Cajun is now than they did when my parents were growing up. Um, but a lot of the culture is just kind of seeping away. Um, Cajun French uh, is dying. Um, my parents, who both had parents that spoke it perfectly as their like first language, don't know a single word of it, really other than little things that we say as part of our lexicon, as part of Cajun English. And I didn't realize how important that would be until I started writing um, about people in Acadiana and different generations and how the losing of a fundamental um, pillar of the culture of the language uh, really changes the culture, right? Like I can't write from the perspective of someone like my grandparents, because I simply don't know how that would be expressed. There are things out there, right? You can buy uh, Cajun French and Louisiana Creole dictionaries and things that have been put together. They're few and far between, but they're there. Um, but there's a there's a sense of like, almost like a lost civilization, you know? Um, something that I didn't think that I'd be that concerned with until I started writing about it and realized that I will never be fluent in what is like the most natural way to tell the stories of the people um, that I'm from, you know? And so that has come up a lot. And also, I mean, I write about poverty. I grew up um, working class. My father is a truck driver uh, who didn't make it out of middle school. Um, My mother is a high school graduate. She is now a uh, massage therapist. So she got a little little diploma for that. Um, But I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, The first person to, I mean, think that leaving town was really an option. Um, everyone in my family has always lived in my hometown. Um, my brother still lives uh, with my father. My sister still lives with my mother. I am the only one who has left. And so it's um, it's interesting, especially being so far from home now, right? Like the con- the comparison is so stark. You know, I'm I'm so far away. I'm farther away than anyone in my family has ever been, and for longer then I'd say, you know, most of the people <laughs> that I'm descended from have been away from home. Um, and it brings a sense of like urgency to my work, I think, um, because I feel like I have to write to catch up to where the culture is now and what it's like to live there now, because it will change while my back is turned and I won't be there to see it. I, I, I'm a lot older than you, I sense, I sense, I see you on <laughs> Zoom. What is, what was it like to tell your parents, I'm going to Germany? 
for a while? Um, well, we kind of knew that it was going to happen for a little while. Um, I came here because my husband is an avian ecologist. Um, he came here for his master's um, and then he moved on to his PhD. And um, in the meantime, I went and got my master's at the University of Michigan. And when I was done, it's like, well, <laughs> there's really no point to be a part. Like I didn't have a job lined up or anything. I just wanted to write. And so I moved here two years ago and, you know, my family was a little freaked out, but every time I've moved, it's been farther away. I've kind of uh, been acclimating them to it, you know, like a, a frog in a cold pot of water. Um, I moved to Baton Rouge. It's an hour and a half from my hometown by car. And that felt so far away. I had only been yeah. to Baton Rouge once in my life. And I was 18 when I moved. Um, and it's just an hour and a half away. And then I moved to Michigan and that felt really, really far away. And now this is kind of like, they know, they know the deal. Like the only difference is that there's a big time difference, but you yeah. know, we talk on the phone. I talk to them. We stay updated as much as we can. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I think that mostly, of course they miss me, but mostly they just think I'm a, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange to, to them that I would want to move to a place where I don't know the language. You know, I don't know anyone, but my husband, I'm like, well, I think the way that they would say it is just like, well, man's going to do what man's going to do. <laughs> now, you um, you go by Samantha for fiction or for poetry? poetry. I do Samantha for poetry because I published poetry way before I started going by Mant um, professionally. Um, and Samantha kind of just feels like the poet. Just feels like very yes, connected to, yeah, like just the early version of myself that felt I could do a version of this. Um, and so I just kept it that way. I had many people be like, you know, why don't you just learn? And I'm like, I don't know, Samantha, you know, she's important too. <laughs> no, I like it. I was just curious where Mant came from. Is that a, a Oh, Mant say, um, yeah, it's a family nickname. My little brother is only 15 months younger than me. So very, very early on in my life, I had someone in my life who could not say Samantha. So uh, he said Manta, which became Mant. And I've just been called that all my life. And I embraced it in graduate school because I didn't want to be called Sam. <laughs> I got it. I, I got like, it. I'm just going to nip this in the bud. And uh, yeah, from there, I decided to publish fiction under Mance. And it kind of just happened. I didn't really um, think I was going to have some kind of weird nom de plume. But it's not like I'm, you know, ML Barrett. No, I'm just, just curious if it... I love yeah, the stories I've been of, uh, for a really long time. I I love, love nickname stories because it's it's usually <laughs> a child who can't pronounce, which yeah. is great. Which is great. Often, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Um, I did ask uh, right before the interview if you would read <laughs> one of your poems. Yeah, yeah I'll read this. Um, it's called Monster of the Week, um, and it was inspired by the X Files, which is probably my favorite uh, TV series of all time. I'm not very original in that way, but. Monster of the week. Tongue the singe, slither low and notice alone. Worse is the fluke, early banal plot fluster, host of novel squirm. No gravitas up in the jump scare. Appetite is to spook as bile is to ick. Some weeks I am the devoured, other the witness, most the monster themselves. Long in the teeth ever glinting, one striking indigent coil writhing clutch of hurt. Profile me, say what I want, credit me at the end. Even when I can speak, Wilhelm screams over and over over me. It's beautiful. 
That's beautiful. Thank you you for reading that. And I'm all about titles, like Monster of the Week just grabbed me, me, obviously. I'm obsessed with names and titles. I'm totally obsessed. (laughs) But tell us, um, I mean, some, some writers and poets are, you know, they don't, everyone doesn't like this question, but what, what are you, what are you trying to say? What do you, what, what message does that, um, does it change over time or when you wrote it, what was going through your head? Do you mean for this poem or just yes, in general? Yeah, the, the poem. Um, this poem, I just wanted to write something about the experience of watching the X-Files um, in various states of sobriety and uh, identifying with different characters. You know, I have this, um, I have an X-Files tattoo mm-hmm. and it, um, it's from the, I believe the fourth episode called the Jersey Devil. And it's this really ridiculous, like line drawing that a child would make of a Bigfoot type character, but with boobs. Okay. And I I mentioned this because in the, in the episode, I always identify with someone different when I watch it. Like Mm -hmm. there's Mulder who's obsessed. Right. And he, you know, ends up tackling this monster and ends up being a woman. Right. Of course, Bigfoot with boobs. And of course it's just a regular woman with mud all over her, but you know, <laughs> let that pass. But uh, he gets tackled by her. She runs off. Uh, Scully comes in the room, missing the action as usual, and he's like, "Holly, she was beautiful." <laughs> and at different times when I watch that episode, I'm Scully going, "What?" I'm Mulder going, "She was beautiful," and I'm the monster just going, "Ah, leave me alone." <laughs> I never would have, um, no, it makes perfect sense. I never would have, uh, you're not from the 90s. How do you know the X-Files? I'm not, I love them. I are love you 30? You're not even 30, right? No, I'm 28. I'll be 29 this year. Okay, I was this, close. Um, this episode actually aired when I was like three months old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel old at all. I don't feel old. No. At the, that was a girlfriend, ex-girlfriend of mine. Show I just that into it um randomly because I really like um any kind of like investigative series mm-hmm. and I'm not so much into the supernatural but the x-files just makes it so fresh and new um and what's great about the x-files is when you watch it you realize that it has influenced literally everything that's come after it oh yeah it's really yes. really fun to watch and be like oh everybody else does this because of this episode it, it was uh it, it's uh, it, it changed things I, that was an ex-girlfriend's mm-hmm. show so I kind of mm-hmm. I don't it was her thing I left it I let her have that but I did see it and it was it's remarkable and uh, I do have a hot take okay I think that the x-files ends after the first movie so I think it is four seasons, the movie, only the first movie, and then it's over. Everything else is Lanyoff and fan service. I'm not saying there aren't great episodes in there that are very fun, but the core story kind of falls apart. So that's that's my opinion, that the canon is four seasons and a movie. It's very manageable. You can watch it all in one go if, I don't know, you're depressed. <laughs> Nothing that I would know about, but that that's my idea of what is uh, the perfect length of the x-files I, I didn't even know it went on for a couple of seasons with different people what are they yeah. thinking what a money Mulder, grab the company left um just like the actor left uh and they were like oh Mulder is like totally crazy and living off the grid so now scully is with this random guy and then of course they rebooted it a few years ago i haven't seen any of that i'm glad they have no. work i'm glad for all of the diehard fans mm-hmm. um, but i won't be watching <laughs> never never think your your viewers are that 
dumb. It's not, uh, it's not a good look for an album season, but what inspires you? What else inspires you, um, your work? Uh, to me, just at first glance, I mean, it seems not dark, but, but pensive, maybe, um, reticent dark dark let's <laughs> go dark. a lot of people uh say that my work is really dark um in the first um section uh as in like kind of the first chapter of my first novel that I am now um sending to my agent and going back and forth and in the process of trying to sell a bunch of dogs die in a house fire <laughs> okay Actually, in like the first like 10 pages and that upset people in my graduate workshop I also have, you You may have seen my story, Lady Sings. It was published through Porterhouse Review. And it also starts kind of, um, say, gruesomely. This woman is uh, doing a bunch of research on people who've been executed. And there's a lot of descriptions of executed bodies. And I had a guy in my, um, in my graduate program, in my workshop, who read it. And he was a veteran. Uh, mm-hmm. Like for, you know, he served for a long time, saw a lot of shit. And he read it and he wrote in the margin. She was like, oh God, this was hard to read. That's, <laughs> so that I, is the, I am a little dark and gruesome. That, also, say. see, I take that as like quite a compliment. I, of, I think so too. Or at I least saying so you're too. in the right direction of Absolutely. being visceral. I mean, it's not just, to make I light. I warn people sometimes like, oh, well, this will be, you know, about two thirds through something upsetting is going to happen like kind of trigger warning because I've had people like get very upset when they read my work and I'm like that's fair I mean the characters are upset no one's happy <laughs> it's moving it's moving I, are you uh, uh coming from um like I I've had clinical depression as long as I can rem- didn't know what it was and anxiety mm-hmm. and things that um that kind of inform not my my day job but maybe sometimes my comedy that I do or um I don't know it it gives me I think a special perspective of pain and grief and do you come from that I don't mean to pry but I mean do you come from um yeah my I have a few spicy diagnoses uh one of them is bipolar disorder which is super fun uh and PTSD I have um I mean, you can't really uh, diagnose people who haven't been diagnosed by a medical professional, but I believe there are a lot of mood disorders um, in my family's past. I don't know that much about um, the generations before my parents for various reasons, um, but I do know there's a lot of trauma um, that has been passed down. I actually write about a lot of the traumatic things that have happened to my parents and aunts and uncles and um, people whose stories have been told to me mostly by my mother. Um, because I'm, I don't know, I'm a masochist. I put my characters in these terrible situations and go monkey dance. <laughs> That's how I roll. I don't know. I don't really want to read stories about people having fun on the beach. So <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think for every person that's like, whoa, this is too much. I think there's 10 people that are like, okay, yeah. someone's reading exactly. my mail. I can connect. I'm yeah, not alone. Exactly, yeah. And that's important stuff for uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of us. Matt Barras, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, and, uh, so coming on so from from Germany. And I gotta I gotta put this out there. I uh, spotted your name. Um, you were gonna come to the studios at QS for a residency, yes. which is a, you know you got in. But um, are you have you been here before, or will will you? I haven't. Someday? I haven't. Um, I applied and got in based on a short story that I'm writing for my linked story collection um, that is set in Key West. 
Um, and I had scheduling conflicts this year, so I will try again another year. Um, I have plenty of work left to do on the story collection anyway, so it's fine. It will wait. <laughs> no, and it's it's such a, a prestigious residency that congrats. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just uh, you got to get down here. Absolutely, absolutely. As soon as I can. It's not as dark. <laughs> we'll find the dark side. There is. There is. <laughs> okay, Florida's dark. <laughs> the dark alligators by like the mob <laughs> going on vacation. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> we got a dark side, but thank you so much and uh, continued success. Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. The Studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.